This is Bottom of the Bill. Yeah, guys, welcome to another episode of Bottom of the Bill. It's been a great weekend, holiday weekend. Uh, before we get to this week's guest, we're going to do our weekly check-in and just see how everything's going. So, Chris, why don't you start us off? Let's do the holidays first, right? Yeah. Um, Thanksgiving just happened. It was it was great. I went up to the Carolinas, um, rode up with my aunt and uncle, and then we did our whole Thanksgiving lunch and stuff, and then just chilled around the house. Thanksgiving lunch? Yeah, we do we do lunch okay. there, where we come from. Uh, Is that like a cultural thing, or it's just your family? We're just hungry, dude. Uh, like, yeah. <laughs> we gotta eat. No, it's funny. We had that came up during dinner. So we've all, always our thing is like. We wake up, we put on the parade while we, you know, get our stuff ready. We'd go to our grandparents' house and we'd eat by like one. Okay. And then we're passed out the rest of the day. We're asleep by four. Nice. Um, but then one of the family members was talking about how, we, so we, this is the first time we've gotten the whole family together since like 2019 through COVID and then the grandparents passed. So like everyone was kind of spread out, but we're like, all right, we got to get everyone back together, like extended family kind of thing. So we were doing lunch and someone was talking about how over the gap they went to their friend's house and they're like, yeah, they're a dinner family. And like, we just hated it. Like we went through the whole day and they wake up late and then they cook through the lunch and then they eat at dinner. That's insanity. It's crazy. Yeah. And I kind of agree with it. Like you eat until you fucking explode and pass out and then you just chill the rest of the day and fall asleep by like eight. So it'd be a good unpopular opinion. Really? So you're Thanksgiving is more of a, that you like Thanksgiving for lunch. Oh, I mean, that's what the holiday is. I, I like the dinner thing because I mean, because it allows you to have more time to just hang out with people before you get to the food. You know No, I mean? so that's what you do. Like the day is like part of the day you like get there early, you have coffee and part of the thing is making the food. Mm-hmm. Like you go like, so like everyone brings a dish. There's way too much food. You all have to cram into one kitchen to make it happen. So it's like a moving puzzle pieces. Mm-hmm. And then food's ready. You sit down and eat and do the thing. And then you got the rest of the daylight to like do a Thanksgiving hike. We do a hat walk where we all put on a hat and then just go walk around. Interesting. Just tradition. What you going to do? It's been before my time. It'll be after my time too. Yeah. Um, and then this time we went and like shot guns in the backyard and stuff. And then the sun went down and we like put on elf and we chilled. So like, nice. What do you do during the day? You just like hang out in the morning and just like small talk and then you cook all day and then well, the sun's down. Like I just, so we I didn't don't understand. I didn't go home. We didn't go home for Chris for Thanksgiving this year. Uh, Chelsea's family came up and we spent time with them. Mm. Uh, and uh, shout out to her brother, Shane, who cooked some fantastic steak. We Ooh. didn't do turkey or anything. I'm jealous. We that did. sounds awesome. It was good. I'm not usually a steak guy, but you know, I always say that but whenever I eat steak, I enjoy it. Of course. But I don't, I don't go like out of my way to order it or anything, mm. uh, but it was very good. Um, and obviously like stuffing potatoes, all the rest of the stuff, you know, is amazing. Um, but typically when we go home, like up until a couple of years ago, we did Thanksgiving at my dad's house. And it would be like the extended family, friends, and everybody would come over. But we spent the whole first part of the day cleaning the house. And people start to get there around, you know, three o'clock or whatever. And then you, while everything's getting made, and then like typically we go out back and we, you know, we drink, we play dominoes, we just talk shit, you know? Mm -hmm. And then uh, by like, you know, six or seven o'clock is when we start to eat. 
And then afterwards, we have like pie and then like espresso or like Cuban coffee or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you keep the party going until like usually the old folks will go and go to sleep. And then it's me, my cousins, like, you know, my my brother, sister and, you know, everyone else. We're we're all like up late and my friends usually come over towards the end and we'll all be up till two in the morning just partying. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it was, but it was like an all-day thing. But we've had some family die and move away, and you know things like that happen. And then you know that now it's like a different thing at my dad's house, and we've just been staying up here. Yeah, and we go down for Christmas now because like Noshawena is like the thing mm. with like you know my stepmom's Venezuelan, my dad's Cuban, so like we celebrate Christmas Eve, and then wake up in the morning, do gifts, and then the rest of the day is just whatever you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. You guys are the one with noise ordinances down in Miami, but we're the ones calling it a late early night. I just don't get it. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we're, <laughs> we're, we're out on a 300-acre farm, and we're done by like 10. Yeah, but dude, like because the, the culture is so Latin down south, like everybody's doing what we're doing. No, that, that makes sense. Yeah. I, get, I get that part of yeah. it. It's just it is so funny how wildly different it is because like we do the same thing like when we're uh, – like the folks are cooking, like we'll go and, you know, drink coffee or liquor and go sit by the fire and, you know, catch up, see what everyone's doing. Then we eat and I, you know, we keep it going. Like we, I, we, you know, the cousins put on a good buzz during the day and had fun and which made the gun part really, really oh fun. Boy. <laughs> that was, that was a riot. Um, it's the, the perks of having your own gun range on your land. Don't, you know what I mean? Don't drink and shoot guns kids don't do where i mean we're experienced <laughs> you guys are all of you watching are not i <laughs> just know that um the best part of the gun thing though is so there's a i mean to call it an airport would be insulting to airports but there's a little dirt strip where planes like small prop planes will take off so somebody was doing some flying around and so we're shooting and we look up and there's this plane really low oh no and it's flying over us and it's it's waving. It's tipping its wings. We're like, oh, hey, how's it going? And then he points directly down, cuts the engine, and just starts free falling right at us. And then starts spiraling. He was only at maybe five or six hundred feet when he started this. He falls halfway down to like three hundred, kicks his engines, and then just flies over our nah, heads. Dude, it fuck was that. the wildest thing. We were all screaming and shooting off guns. We we're just like, whoa, that was insane. It was the wildest thing I've ever seen a pilot. He's just like, <laughs> there's some people in a field. Watch this. Oh, my God. I mean, we're I'm like it for a split second. I'm like, we should move. We're about to get hit by a plane yeah. like that. That kind of vibe. It was like, man, he's really, really falling right now. <laughs> like we should clear out. Fuck and that. he literally just like, I'm gonna fuck with those guys and just dove a plane right on us. Oh, no, it was a good time. And I then, you know, he leaves and we're blasting off shotguns and stuff being like, yeah, that was awesome. This and that. And he's probably dodging pellets up in the air and <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. Dude. It was a good time. Oh my God. Um, some fucking redneck shit right there. Yeah. You got to do it when you go home. At least, know? at least in Miami, like, well, it, it's actually kind of worse because down South, everyone's out shooting guns, but it's like populated yeah. suburbs. Well, you're pointing city. them at each other. We're just still <laughs> shooting up. No, we're pointing at each other. <laughs> we're just having some good old Southern fun. Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> and also a little racist, but it's okay. So uh, anyways, uh, you stayed up in, you stayed up there all weekend. Yeah. So I came back down, um, on uh, Saturday, I was playing with Patrick Evans. He had like a private party that goes on every year. So flew back down. The flights were a little wild. Um, got back in town. 
grabbed my stuff and went straight to this party. Um, it was Eric Davis on bass and this cat Josh Green on drums. Oh, hell yeah. Nasty band. We played three songs and it just starts raining. Oh, so shit. then we just cut and went home. Uh, so a shame. So that was Saturday. Um, it was all right though. I had an early church gig on Sunday. Did you guys get paid still? We did. Nice. Yeah. They, uh, they took care of us. They, they roast a whole pig. Oh yeah. So they, we did a whole pig and everyone brought food. And so like we got sent home with trash bags of pork. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, well, here's your money and sucks. You guys came all this way here. Just eat. And this and that. I'm like, it's in San Marco. I'm five minutes from my house. This is awesome. Nice. Uh, um, so it was super cool. Um, good gig. I, the vibe was really fun immediately. So I wish we could have actually played music, but it was good to link with Josh again. I hadn't played with him in seven years or something like that. Um, so that was really cool. Yeah, he's great, man. I, I played with him once, not on a full gig. I just sat in with him, Shane, mm-hmm. and Jared Bell. It was yeah. Shane's birthday gig a few months back. Maybe, yeah, it was it was earlier this year. I sat and that's I met him and played a few tunes with him. He's a funny guy. He's a great dude. Yeah. Real just good hang. Yeah. Um so that that was a blast. So I wouldn't mind airing out some personal grievances. Let's hear it. On uh that I've been go that I've been working with. Before my- you do this, yeah, I just want to shout out to Shane Platten, yeah, and Sean Totten for playing for having me on their gigs this weekend. It was a lot of fun. Those guys are great pros, obviously, and uh, it's just it was just fun to work with them. Nice man. So like y'all just just kind of pick up put together gigs. Like they had the gigs booked. They had them booked thing. already, and then Jared Bell was out of town, so I f- I filled in for him, and it was just. Uh, played at a1a which was fun and then we played at my place the day after which was that that gig i felt like we were really we really especially the first couple sets we were really locked in nice um and the energy just felt good so it was cool um i just wanted to acknowledge that before you go on to your grievances oh yeah it's all good totally um so i this is i rarely would do something like this however i feel like it's the time and place of where i'm at it's I'm just, been a theme the last couple episodes where we aired grievances so yeah i might got, as well keep it going i got no problem doing it so i've been working this church gig since gene was the tech director there um it's probably been like five or six years and from when i got there the vibes were immaculate we had a crazy good band good leadership in place um it was it was really it's been a great work environment and the past few months have been kind of building up some tension. There's been some changing in the leadership and the past month specifically has taken a dive bomb of a term. Um, so I, uh, our, our friend was working there and she got let go out of the blue and that totally shifted a culture in there. So I, uh, I have been really considering walking just, on principle, man. And the reason I bring this up, remember I was working the factory gig, the plastic factory. Yeah. Yeah. So for those who don't know over COVID we, there's no gigs. So I found some work at a plastic factory and it, it was work, you know what I mean? But there was a, I had an issue working there's and we're really working for people in general is, uh, you know, I can, I'll follow the rule. Like if it makes sense, I'm about it. But when people start getting, to where they want things done just because 
A, they want it that way. There's no real anything to back it up. It just starts to bother me. I don't work well in those situations, like never have. And so this church gig is starting to feel like that plastic factory in terms of just like hostility and like you do what I say or your ass is on the line kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, man, I don't work. I don't work well in those situations. And like church gigs are such a part of what musicians do, you know, to like round out their weeks and stuff like that. But when one goes south, you got to call it what it is. Even, uh, even if they're that, you know, you know, crucial to your, to your day to day, your your week to week. What's happening. Like an example of what's happening. That's making you put it on blast. Um, things like the, um, canning this person, a good friend, um, and then not like then turning around and lying to the congregation, like not owning up to like, Hey, we want to go a different direction or we want someone that's going to do X, Y, and Z. They told everyone like, Oh yeah, she's leaving to go pursue creative endeavors and this and that. Like people came up to her and asked her if she was like moving or this and that. Um, she's beloved there. Mm-hmm. And like the kind of culture is built around the talent. Like, and when they announced it, audible gasps across, like no one could believe this was happening. And that's kind of reaching from that department over to our tech department. There's a real culture of not being heard at all. Like the thing is, the thing that I have, I've always had a problem with churches is like churches are a collection of all the things they are. It's if people wanted to go and just hear preaching, that's a different thing, but it's the music, it's the community, it's the preaching. It's all these things combined into one that makes like a church, a church. Otherwise it's just religion and just like text, but it's a whole thing. You go and experience the, yeah, it's a culture. the, the peace. This is becoming not what the community and the thing is. It's becoming what the top want it to look like. Mm. And it's, I think that's the most dangerous thing in religion. And I have, and that's kind of why I wanted to like bring it up and talk about it because like, you should be curious, like inside of like the confines of what your religion is, you should curate that to be the most comfortable thing that fits your views kind of thing. Like make it the best of what it can be, not the you of what it can be. You know, mm-hmm. like there's a very personal stamp that's going on this now. And this place is hundred plus years old. And there is a very much a individualized brand going on it now mm-hmm. of like what it wants to look like. So, if anyone out there, that's I, I do all this to say, if you are doing a gig and it's been a thing and it's just doesn't feel right anymore, you know, gigs can change, gigs can move. I'm terrified to leave this gig because it pays really well and it does this and that, but um, I can't be around that energy. I made a vow to myself when I was doing the plastic gig that that it just doesn't work for me. And I got called out yesterday for just being angry. You know, like, you know, like they screwed over my friend. She's upset. The culture is changing. It was not a good work environment. And I just go around. I'm going, I'm upset. And there's one reason or person that this is the reason for. Uh, So cut the cut the rope. It's great money, but it's a shame. Have you quit already? I have not. No. Okay. (laughs) So not, uh, you know, if you guys see this, feel free to cut me loose. My plan. So (laughs) serious. My plan is to book my Sundays, um, just get into the brunch market game uh, because now Jess is also looking for work. <laughs> and, and so like between Chelsea, all these pe- like all the people I gig with, 
just look for some Sunday gigs here and there. And then uh, once I start booking those, I'm just going to sub out my gig and then go to those gigs well, and just keep doing that until they, they don't want me anymore. Well, good luck is right until football season's over. It's kind of that's true. Difficult well, to find a Sunday gig. That's and that I'm goes speaking through speaking from experience. No, for sure. And that goes through like January, February. <laughs> yeah, kind exactly. Of thing. Um, however, I have talked to a couple of people that have opened up spots. Jeanette just opened up a new spot mm. and she's um, I think she's going to toss us one a month to start. And then go from there. That's cool. a face. I would love to. Let's talk about that. No, just make sure uh, communication's open on that. Anyways. Um, always, <laughs> always communicate on your gigs. It's an important thing in this industry. Um, all right. Well. So uh, that's been fun. Anyway, thanks for. burning bridges with churches. And uh, thanks for letting me it, get that on my chest. <laughs> I like, I, I would love to look back on this in a year and just have a little stamp of where I'm at during some of these times. Yeah, and, uh, definitely. And I mean, I mean it. And so I'm glad I said it. Definitely uh, put some accountability on yourself for sure. So. Yeah, man. Um, all right. Well, this week on the show, we have a, a friend of the show, Madison Grace, who's been on before, but she's got some new music she's working on as well as an, an acting career that she's pursuing with some stuff that's coming out soon, I believe. Um, so uh, we get into all of it on the episode. You can find out where to watch the stuff, hear her music and all that good stuff. Uh, it was a really fun episode. As usual, it's fun getting people back on for a second time because the dynamic is a little bit you know, more... Uh, like just comfortable. Everyone kind of knows what's going on, especially when we're friends with the person. So it was awesome to have Madison back on the show. Um, as usual, we got merchandise in the description below. Um, what else do we got, Chris? That I usually say, follow us on all the platforms, yep. Instagram, TikTok, uh, all that good stuff. Share it with your friends, share it with your friends, like subscribe, all that stuff helps with the algorithms and, helps us grow this thing and keep the conversation going. Go watch some old episodes. Go watch some old episodes. Share find those some, with your friends. Find some new music you like off of it. Do we, all the cool stuff. Yeah, we've had plenty of musicians on, uh, people different walks of this industry, and we you probably know some of them personally. Uh, so anyways, check it out. Uh, help get the word out, and we will see you guys later. Enjoy the episode. Peace. This is Bottom of the Bill. Madison Grace, welcome back Thank to you. the bottom of the bill. How it's are you good doing? Good to be back. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, uh, we were talking a little bit before we were rolling about some film stuff that you got yeah. going on. I want to talk about that because that's super interesting to Thank me as you. well. Yeah. Um, well, I've you know I've been a musician for basically my whole life. So about. I think like 2020, I think 2021, like right about when I moved here or right before I moved here, um, I was working with my uh, music video directors and he was like, hey, you know, we're doing this 48 hour film festival thing. You should like I have an extra ticket. Do you want to uh, come to the viewing? I'm like, yeah, sure. So that was my like first introduction to the Jacksonville film community was uh, I think it was like a 20. I think it was 2021, maybe. Uh, yeah, 2021, 48. And then after I went to that, like I just started working on every set that I possibly could with them. Music videos, short films, skits for fun stuff, you know, whatever I could. And um, now I, last year we did the 48, I was on their set and we actually went to Festival de Cannes. Um, there's actually a holiday in Jacksonville now. 
because of our team getting to go. We were the first American team in 10 years to win. Really? And yeah, and go to, so we won Jacksonville, went to Filmapalooza, like 150 cities compete, and they all go to Filmapalooza or like wherever it's held, whatever. Um, I think this year it was Texas. It was a world that's in Texas and then Portugal, I think. Um, so you go compete in Filmapalooza. We won Filmapalooza. And um, then we went, we showed at Cannes. So um, that was crazy and awesome. Um, so I get to say that I, you know, worked on a world winning film. And um, now I'm starting a little bit of acting. Um, I was in, <clears throat> I was in one called The Faded Facts of Jacks. You can find it on YouTube. What's it called? Faded Facts of Jacks. Faded Facts yeah, of Jacks. Yeah, it's like a parody on like drunk history and they get like a okay. homeless dude to like come in and like talk about the history of Jacksonville and it just like absolutely goes awry. And I play Paris Hilton in, <laughs> Interesting. in the film. And uh, what's Paris Hilton's connection to Jacksonville? You just have to go watch it. Okay. You know, <laughs> you just have to go watch it and fi- and see how she became the queen of Jacksonville. Oh my God. And, um, and it, you know, uh, in the film, you know, Jacksonville was founded by Samuel L. Jackson. Okay. So, and, <laughs> uh, I see what's happening yeah. here. Okay. So, um, it's, it's funny. It's a lot of fun. So Fred Durst is in it. It's great. Like you gotta watch like it. Like the real Fred Durst? No, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no. um, the parody, but, um, it was, that was a lot of fun. So that's how I met Bethany, the director. I just worked with on my first starring role in a short film for the Creative Veins Trick or Treat, um, film festival. Um, I just had my first starring role with that. So that was a lot of fun. And it was a horror film, sci-fi. So. Yeah. So congratulations, by the Thank way. You. That's amazing. Thank you. It was um, a lot of fun. Ha- this is your first like real acting experience? Uh-huh. Okay. Because I feel like horror has got to be like the hardest thing to like do for the first time. I don't know. I was able to cry on camera very easily. Really? So yeah. Like it was funny because I guess my makeup where I was sweaty and like he thought he got the tear and I'm like sitting there still in it and he like cut and I'm like, I'm about to have a tear. I'm about to have a tear. And he's like, oh, and he like gets right back into it. And I like give even more and then like one, two, it just like drops down. I was like, yeah. What are you like? How are you able to make yourself cry like that? I mean, it's trade secrets, but I do not use uh, sticks, like the tear sticks, and um, I don't, like, try to pull anything too deep. Like, basically, as long as I can get the physical act going, then I'm able to, uh, like, bring in that emotional behind it. Mm. So, uh, I mean, I'll tell you, I will literally hold my eyes open until they get to the point of tears. And then all the while, like I'm within that character, whatever they're going through. Um, And then uh, once I feel the physical, it's just, it's way easier to give the emotional. Okay, I see. Yeah, yeah. So I guess a little bit of like manipulation techniques. I don't know. Yeah, totally. So it's like you you bring yourself to a point of physical discomfort mm -hmm. to the point where all it takes is a little bit of emotional Mm -hmm. like to push you over the edge. To push you over the edge and bring those tears out. Yeah, Yeah. okay. Interesting. So, um, yeah, I'm very much like a method sensory type actor. From what I've learned, I've never taken an acting class. I've just... Any actor or teacher I've ever been around, I'm just like, let me ask you as many questions for free as I possibly can before you're like, come to my class. And I'm like, Um, and so uh, luckily I'm surrounded by like the Jacksonville film community is like, so it's just like the music community, in my opinion, like everyone is so nice 
They are so welcoming and so eager to teach you. You know, you have your bad apples in every everywhere you go. You can't avoid that. Every orchard's got their, you know, bad apples. But um, it's it's so welcoming and so so just the, it's just a community. It's a real community. You know what I mean? Yeah. Nobody wants to see you fail. Everybody wants to see you succeed. Right. You know, and um, luckily I'm surrounded by some of the most talented people and I get to ask them all the questions and be a little sponge, you know, I'm very fortunate for that. So, um, I take in whenever I'm going through anything real life that you typically would see in movies, you know, um, I stay as present as possible. And I guess that sounds crazy, you know, like if I'm getting sick, like I'm like, okay, what am I doing? What is my mouth doing? What is my body doing? Am I sweating? Am I heaving? What's happening? you know, just present always at all times. So that way you can call back to it whenever you need it for a shot. Right. Right. Um, how much is, how much is happening like here on the ground as far as film goes? Is there like a studio or is there like, um, I'm just curious. Uh, I'm, I don't know big time. I know that like a lot of studios come here for a lot of things like HGTV, I've heard a lot of HGTV coming here. Yeah, um, I think because of all the renovations and everything, I've heard a lot of HGTV. Um, it's more like there's just a lot of independent right. filmmakers and a lot of just like independent actors and independent people. Maybe they have an agent somewhere, but Jacksonville is just kind of a breeding ground for networking and like underground networking, right. and like a starting pad to just like meet all these people. Um, and what about like any, there's no, no, I mean, I guess it's not directly connected to any of this stuff out in California, but like the writer's strike and all that, I would imagine has to have some kind of an impact. I would think so, but I, I don't know. Like I, I'm not that well, uh, versed within the film community to know too much about that. You mm. know, I'm not that much a professional when it comes to film. I, I, I don't know. I'm sure there are major connections, um, I know that there's been, I've met a few actors who were living in LA, but they moved home like either right before the writer's strikes or because of the writer's strikes because they weren't able to get work. Right. So they came home, like one girl I just met, um, she was living in LA. She was like acting and about to start doing stand up, but um, she moved home and then like the writer's strike happened and she was like, oh God. Or she, I think she came home, the writer's strike happened and she just ended up staying, you know? Yeah. Um, so um with uh with the movie uh like be like your first time really acting and then like being like the kind of star of the of the thing what like what kind of pressure is that put on you and did you feel like a responsibility to kind of um bring the energy like for your for like, the other people that are involved the other actors that are involved well it was cool because i was the only actor for all my scenes. Oh, okay. I was the only actor. There's uh, three more actors, but they were all filmed different, like separately. Okay. Um, except for two that are going to like be playing parents that are like doing this ritual in the beginning. Um, so it honestly, I didn't. I felt pressure from myself only because you know, as 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 a performer, you know, there's always pressure to have give your best performance and do the best that you can. So 
you know, especially coming into a new medium, which I've always been a proponent in saying that singing is acting, performing on stage yeah, is acting, sure. you know, and you're telling a story, just the dialogue is different. It's, it's, uh, it's like given to you, to the audience differently. Um, so, you know, I felt pressure from myself to like really give uh, the best performance that I could. And, you know, I asked, I was like, is there any notes? Do you want anything different? And the director would say, nope, you're, you're doing exactly what I want. So, um, the director, Bethany, she was amazing. I mean, absolutely incredible. Was, she said it was her first time like directing a film, but she is, a, like I said, she is a photographer. And, um, I think that's what made her very unique, um, as a director was, as long as she got that overall, she got that, she captured that one moment within the scene, she was fine with the rest. Yeah. Like she was so, it was the most stress-free set I've ever been a part of. There's some kind of like overlap, I feel like as well with a photographer and director mm -hmm. as far as like when you're running a set, mm -hmm. right? Because like when, when you're... Well, they have a director of photography, the DP. Oh, okay. So um, they have, you know, they'll have like... Director, eight, assistant director, assistant director two, director of photography, cinematographer, and they all are doing different jobs for the same thing. Like right. the cinematographer, the director is not always running the camera. The DP or the cinematographer is. Right. You know, and the DP might not even run the camera. The DP might just set up the shot and then get it right. But then he's not even lighting the shot. He's telling the lighter, right. and the gaffer, where to put it. You know what I mean? Like every. Um, Sorry. Oh, you're fine. Um, every person plays such a huge and different role in on set and I think making film is the most collaborative collaborative like cre cre create creative um project I guess that you could really do you know it, it involves a, just about every facet of uh art to create yeah. you know music visual lighting uh, set design down to the actors, dancers, singers. Like you, you need it all. Yeah, makeup, the make, clothes, like everything. Mm -hmm, everything, yeah. choreographers for fight scenes or dance scenes or whatever it is, you know, and um, singers and music for the backing tracks and the soundtracks. You know, it all it all goes together. So, um, it's it's a lot of fun getting to kind of shift me not shift mediums but like experience different art mediums and creative mediums yeah totally and it's all gonna like feed the other mm -hmm. side you know like because if you can get comfortable with performing in a void kind of like acting you know yep. where you're on like a sound stage or something and you're and you've got like a small group of people everyone's like very focused and like and then versus like when you're on stage and it's like mm -hmm. a room full of people that are like just begging for you to give them some kind of Something, like anything, yeah. right? So it's like it becomes much easier to go into that situation when you're in like a cold world like acting where it's like you don't really know until yeah. till like the end result if it's good or not, you know? Yeah, and um, and the end result could be totally different than what you as an actor even saw in your head. Like so with the script that I was given, it was just very minimal script, short film, you know, very uh, basic. There wasn't a lot of lines. That's what I really appreciated because as a singer, you know, I'm used to giving my dialogue singing elongated and through tones. You know, I know my face and my body won't fail me. I can act physically with that no no problem but it's my voice that I was scared of and um so the fact that it was just very much like talking to yourself kind of thing 
um, there was just very low pressure when it came to dialogue. So that was a good introduction. I think it was all just physical, emotional, um, but like what I'm comfortable with. So, yeah. um, which I think is probably the easiest part of acting is giving the emotional side, making the faces, you know, giving your body, it's talking that can feel unnatural and can feel, um, rehearsed. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Trying to convey mm -hmm. like a certain thing that you might not be feeling in the moment yeah. or just, you know, not having, f especially when you're going in, like, I guess that's why they have like, you know, table reads and stuff. Cause to understand context. Yep. Right. And there's a lot that goes into how you're going to respond based off of mm -hmm. how somebody else does. You're listening to the podcast smartless. I haven't. So it's a. Uh, um, are you, have you heard of it before? I think I have. I've, it sounds familiar. Yeah, it's like Jason Bateman, okay, uh, yeah. Will Arnett, and mm -hmm. Sean Hayes. Uh, the the guys I um, have been shooting with, they listen. They listen to that one, and they listen to the all the Sunny podcast. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And they listen to a couple other like actor podcasts too. Yeah, so it's interesting because like the, the it's they get like Jason Bateman's kind of nerdy on on like the like the logistics side uh -huh. of acting so he goes into a lot of that which i find interesting and something he talks about is like what you're like alluding to what you're saying where how, like how collaborative it is but almost to a fault yeah because then it's like, whose movie is it everybody that was a conversation we were having is like whose baby is it is it the actor's movie is it the writer's movie who wrote the entire story is it the investor's movie who's paying for all of it? Is it the producer's movie who's running the set? Is it the director's movie who's directing all the shots? Is it the cinematographer's movie or the lighter's movie who's lighting everything? Because if it wasn't for the lighting, or is it the editor's movie who puts it all together and makes it the final shot? Or is it the director's who has the final cut, whoever has the final call? You know, it's right. like, it's so collaborative. It's like, you can't, it's not like writing a song where you can be like, they wrote the song and then they produced it, but it's, you know, it's that artist's song, you know, that's the, um, I guess like the public perception, but like with the movie, it's like really, whose, whose is it? Yeah, because like or the studio that releases it and right. has the rights to it. Yeah, exactly. Legally has the rights to it, you know. Who, right, which is a whole different thing, right? Yeah, it's like, a whole different. So it's like, so and I thought it was also interesting because, you know, when you go in as as an actor, especially, I feel like, you know. Act, the actors probably have, even though they're like they're the ones that you see, it's probably like, like they have the least control oh, over the end result. Yeah, unless you know? unless you're like you know Margot Robbie, Leonardo DiCaprio, like your top tier or your producer also within it, or like you have some kind of in, like yeah, the actors basically like you come in and do your stuff and then you leave. Like you have nothing to do with anything that yeah. is going on. And half the time you don't even really know, like it's sometimes it's hard to even get like the full context of the movie because you're shooting out of order. You right. don't always shoot in order. That's it's a, very rare. You hear that a lot with actors <clears throat> like talking about, they don't even, they like they see the movie the same time that everybody else mm -hmm. does, you know? So it's like, they might see some dailies and they might see some right. outtakes and they might see some cuts, but like they're, not they're the last ones that are thought about you know Gwyneth Paltrow was always I've seen her interviews where she's like I was in Spider-Man like I they were like yeah you were in like the last scene in Spider-Man she's like I just come into Marvel and just shoot like I don't even know what movies That's is for what insane. like we just we just come in and shoot and they don't they don't even know Marvel characters don't even know what movies they're shooting for they just come in and shoot That's insane um and kudos to the Marvel cast because like say whatever you want about whatever they 
gross so much money always. It's always a good feel-good movie to watch with the whole family. And they're acting in green scruits and green suits and green rooms. Like right. how if that's not a testament to like how good these actors like have to be to pull off these movies and characters, then like I don't know what is. Yeah, totally. You know, you have you have to be you got to be good because if not, you, it just it falls flat, you know? Yeah, totally. And I feel like kind of back to the to the lack of control side of it mm. where like as a, as a musician, what would be the hardest thing for me about acting is not having much control over the end result because you're doing however many takes of whatever scene and you might feel that this one was the best but at the end of the day, when it goes into the editing room, you don't really have a say in what comes out. And then again, not having any context fully for how things going to like, you know, go and the flow of the whole movie. At the end of it, you're like, yeah, I mean, I showed up and I did my job, but I didn't do that. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. There's like this guy be like this. Whereas like when you, you release a song, you're like, I performed it. I picked the best takes that I thought were going to work. Um, I was in, you know, maybe, I mean, a lot of the times, at least for me, I'm in the room when they're mixing yeah. it and, you know, making choices and all that. And then the end result, the only thing that I'm not really a part of, even though I get to decide if I like it or not is a mastering process yeah, usually. Yeah. So it's like when, when people hear that, I can confidently say, I know every part about this in and out and mm -hmm. that is my product. Right. Yeah. Whereas like with a movie, the actors in there. And when 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 you see what they did, it almost is like I don't even I don't know that I, I didn't know that I did that. Yeah. Right. I would say, you know, as long as you are working with people that you trust and that you hold to a high standard that you know that they're going to pick the best shot. Right. You know, and usually when you're on set, like that's part of the 80s job or like the script soups job, like whoever it kind of falls on, because like each depending on the size of the depending on the size of the set y you can like each role can kind of like pick up different jobs kind of you know um but like an ad job or a script soup job you know they would you know where it's it's scene 1 take 3 all right circle that that was a good take i like that take that was my favorite one you know and usually it's like the last take is always right <laughs> it's either the last take or the second to last take it's usually like what I've seen gets gone with. It's, it's kind of similar for music too, mm -hmm. where you're like, once you're warmed up and you're in it, yep. you know, and then you can kind of like that. Once you have the blocking down, once you have the words down, once you have like what exactly was going to happen, the camera knows where you're going. The focus guy knows where you're going. Everybody knows what's happening. And it is kind of like you get that one moment, you know, and you're like, well, let's do one more just cause, right. you know, one more just cause you can kind of know like which take it's going to be based on like when the director's like, yeah, circle that one. You know, I like that one. Good job. Um, but, you know, different directors, different sets, different actors. Luckily, um, Bethany's been like uh, very adamant, adamant about having me um, a part of that process too. Like she wants me to be in the editing room with them. And oh, cool. She wants me to do stuff with her uh, when it comes to um, that kind of stuff because – like I came in like fully prepared and ready to go. Like I wrote a whole backstory for my character that wasn't there. Really? Yeah. Like I had, I wrote a whole backstory for her. She had a whole thing of like why she was in the house, you know, 
why the witch's spirit was like so connected to her. Like I went through like a whole um, deep dive with that character. Yeah. So I don't know if we said it on the podcast yet. What is the movie about? Oh, so um, it's when does this air? This airs like when, like a month from now, probably. Okay, yeah. cool, cool, cool. Okay, so it's already out, so I can talk about it. Okay, cool. Okay, um, so um, first off, what's it called? <clears throat> it's called I don't know. Okay. Um, so uh, we don't know what it's called. <laughs> yeah, but I can tell you the name of our team. Okay. Um, so like. It's for a, like I said, it's for a Halloween trick-or-treat film festival. And so our name is She's Such a Horror. Oh, like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> She's Such a Horror. Is it, yeah. Horror. Yeah, yeah. Know. But, um, so that's the name of the team. I'm not sure what the name of the film will be, but it's about a girl named Jessie who is at this house and she's weird stuff starts happening and like she's seeing crazy things and she's seeing all this stuff and she's freaking out she's like it's just stress you've been through so much you know um she came to this house to kind of like eat pray love and escape and find herself and just you know finally do something for herself and um she's kind of witchy herself and she keeps thinking that like this evil witch spirit is like trying to take her so she's going to exercise her um but then she gets abducted and she's like ready to go to war. So it's just, you know, like I said, it's a short film and it, it honestly feels like what we've shot is kind of like a teaser for something big. And that's why I went to Bethany and I was like, look, I have no idea what I'm doing and I've only worked on a few sets. I've been on one feature that uh, I'm not even credited for. So I, you know, but I, I want to turn this. I think it has potential and I think Jesse's still, like I'm attached to this character. Like I want to tell her story. Her story needs to be told. There's so much um, that can allude back to like just trauma, you know, essay it, dealing with, um, you know, dealing with loss, dealing with, you know, uh, grieving, acceptance, letting go, you know, there's just within this like creepy sci-fi story there's just like I think there's just so much to be told and she has a beautiful story you know and um it's she's had a lot of loss in her life and I just think she has a lot to say and I think she has a beautiful image you know like just so she can just capture such a beautiful image like I'm I, I don't know like I just I have a lot of faith in her and her future projects and I want to work with her awesome so this thing coming up that's going to be at is, is a film festival mm -hmm. right like it, a local thing like yeah. a local thing and what's the name of it i think it's i'm pretty positive it's called the trick-or-treat halloween festival okay um creative veins the acting school and studio here in jacksonville mm -hmm. um puts it on rebecca the owner amazing first of all also another amazing strong woman in jacksonville shout out to all the strong women out here and um you know and her studio is super sick. Like, I think there's, like, 18 or 20 different rooms of just, like, different sets and scenes. Oh, really? Yeah. So, uh, during the 48, like, four or five teams were all there. Like, everybody was shooting at the same time. It was ca uh, chaos and hectic. And it was just the spirit of the 48, you know. And it was, yeah. It was amazing. What's the, so, what's the 48? So, it's a film festival that is held all over the world. 150 cities in the world um, do it. Jacksonville is one of those cities 
and you are given a, everybody is given the same line, prompt, or prop, and character that you have to put in each movie. And then by random, you're given a uh, two to choose from um, themes and genres. So like it could be horror or dark comedy. Uh, this year we got musical or karate. So you can like incorporate both or just one. And um, oh, or, that's cool. Yeah. And then because uh, last year we had fantasy and tearjerker. So then born was threshold. Um, if you would like to check that out, it's also on YouTube and it was premiered at Decan. Um, so it's on YouTube threshold. Yeah. So then you have from the drawing <clears throat> at the end of the drawing, they start your time and you have 48 hours to write film, edit and send off a short film, wow. four to seven minutes. So it's, you know, usually like the first uh, after the drawing's done, like the first 12 hours are um, writing and getting everything together. And then you wake up at like 6 a.m. the next day, even though you went to bed at 2 or however late, you wake up at 6 a.m. and you start filming. And it's usually like a very long, non-union regulated. <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Um, this is very long film day. And, um, you know, and then... From start to finish, you shoot a film in one in like you know less than twenty four hours, and then you have twenty four hours to edit and send it off, and then the rendering. Yeah, <laughs> you have to wait for that bitch to render. Yeah, so people don't talk about. <laughs> yeah, we don't talk about it. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's crazy hectic, but like so worth it and so much fun. And if you want an introduction into the film world, like, I feel like that's a great introduction. I mean, if there's there, there's nothing more indicative of how the entertainment industry works mm -hmm. than having a festival that literally makes you work down to the last minute. It's like training you yeah. for how all this shit actually goes down, yeah. right? Because it's people that we were just talking about the other day. It's like people think that, like, that, that like pros have everything like so mapped out and it's all done with such precision no. and but and like they just have money behind them that's, what it is. <laughs> that's all it is they just have money to back them and somebody's screaming down their throat get this done yeah. i need it done by next like last week like, right you know, that's you know they are just as procrastinative and is that even a word um, we, 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 it is now. We I like it. to make we up just add, We just added it to the dictionary. <laughs> yeah. Procrastinative, the the noun version or the, the adjective version of procrastinating. Um, they're just as procrastinating. They're just as, you know, in their own head, all of that. But they have people to keep them in check. That's that's the difference. You right. Know? The self-discipline and having somebody to discipline you well as well. Yeah, you definitely. Know? I don't know a single creative who isn't, like some kind of messy in the sense of like there there's some kind of you know they'll put something off a little bit of procrastination yeah you know? I mean that's sleep a little bit too much maybe story of my you life know? stay up a little bit too late you know um, I woke you, up this morning and it was like fucking freezing in the yeah. apartment and I was like 
you know, I could get up and go to the gym right now, but I'm just going to sleep until like 1030. Yeah, well, I'll, <laughs> I'll wait till it warms up a little bit. Yeah, more. exactly. <laughs> Fucking <laughs> real reptilian over here. <laughs> Not a big ice plunge guy. Huh? No, no. Uh, I, dude, if it wasn't like getting colder, I would totally do it. But it's too cold. It's like getting no. chilly right now. It's in still warmer out than it is in the cold. Plunge. Even if it's yeah. you get in the cold plunge, you get out, it feels warmer no. in comparison. Yeah, I know. That sounds like a stomach ache to me. Yeah. That sounds like I'm going to get super hot and then super cold and then super hot again and I'm going to throw up. That's yeah. what that sounds like to me. Yeah. It's, uh, um, but the pro- procrastinating is is definitely like the whole thing. I mean, yeah, I've got like all this shit I've been sitting on for like a month that I haven't, I just started like working on yesterday and I was like, yeah, I guess I'll just make it happen now. I feel like if you're procrastinating on something that you were like super gung ho about it first. It's because you're almost you're about burnout out on it, and yeah. you need to step away. And that's something that I've really this like past uh, like few months. Um, I've just really, really, really been adamant about allowing myself to create just to create. The other day, I spent six hours writing a little romance fiction. You know, I used to write, when I was like a teenager, I used to write fan fiction and I even got like a bunch of reads. Like I had like over a million reads on one of these like fan fictions really? on Wattpad. Yeah, I was on Wattpad. Check me out. No. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> it's where all the like fan fiction girlies went to go read Harry Styles smut. So, okay. and that's like exactly what I wrote too. So, um, I hope he never sees this. Um, and so, you know, I used to write all the time and I used to like write short stories, write long stories, write literally anything or you know and so I've spent six hours one day just sitting in one chair in one spot just writing a story on my phone and at first I got like really 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 upset with myself because I was like I was going to film content I was going to do this I was going to do that but I felt like so good and then I wanted to pick up my guitar like when you're a creative and you force yourself into a box, that's when you're going to get burnout. Yeah. And that was something, that was a lesson I had to kind of learn because I thought like, no, I'm just going to go gung ho. I'm just going to do it all because I can. And this is what I'm good at. This is what I love to do the most. But I was like neglecting all the other facets of creativity that I love, you know, and that was just stifling me so much. I feel as an artist and, um, So I've been just like really allowing myself to really just create in any aspect and write in any aspect, like writing jokes. I want to do a, I want to do a type five at Voussoir. Hell yeah. And just because my ego is like, you can do it. And I just want to prove, I just want to prove to myself that I can. Well, I think that, you know, that's great. And I think it's, you know, it's, there's an element of it that's funny, obviously. Um, but in all seriousness, I think that it's important that if you have an, like an impulse to do something like that, it doesn't matter how uncomfortable mm-hmm. it makes you. You I should just definitely throw myself out of my it. comfort zone. That's, like that is talking, talking between songs is like my, I can do it. I'm funny. I'm like, I'll, I'll, you know, ref with hecklers or whatever, but I, it's, I can get so flustered sometimes. So in like storytelling is not my strongest suit. As you can tell, I'm so talkative. It's not, (laughs) I'm so ADD. So I, you know, I think it's a great exercise and it's a really cool challenge that I want for myself. You know, I, 
I want to get better at telling stories. I want to throw myself out of my comfort zone where I'm not singing on stage. That's when I'm comfortable is when I'm singing on stage. I don't care. Yeah. You know, I don't care who's in the crowd, whatever. But talking is when I get flustered. So I like it's a challenge and I want to challenge myself, you know? Yeah, totally. And then you got to like figure out how to you know, make the joke work. Mm-hmm. And then there's like, you know, taking words, just the editing like, process. Because like if one too many words and like it, it throws it off, you know, the oh, way yeah. that you say it, it can throw it off. So totally. I was like trying out some of my jokes on my mom, but she's not from Jacksonville. So I wrote like a few like Jacksonville centric jokes. And, you know, because I was talking about like coming from Mississippi, coming, you know, I'm very eccentric back home i'm the eccentric one yeah. i'm the free spirit back home who moved, the gypsy. To, who moved to the big city yeah that moved to the big city <laughs> yeah. and you know so i made a joke like you know i love jacks because like i was you know able to be myself and just feel so free and be around other people that i felt were just like me that back home you know i was looked at as weird but you know if i'm ever feeling homesick i just you know drive 20 minutes to Yuli and just go stand out Walmart and ask for abortion signatures. (laughs) 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 And I don't know like if that's funny or not because I was like, you know, I don't know, but... That is funny. I like it. It's funny? Okay, so Jacksonvillians like it. Yeah, I mean, totally. Yeah. yeah. And like, I want to say stuff that, you know, I don't want to be scared to like say some, you know, stuff that people might not agree with. I don't really care. Like, you know, teach their own... But if you can't laugh about it, then what are you doing? Yeah, and you it's, know, and it's like, laughter's the best medicine. Yeah, totally. I think that comedy, you know, even though there are a lot of comedians that that get shit for stuff, I still feel like it's the last um, medium mm-hmm. of being creative that has it's the not mo- been stifled. Yeah, like you can Look get away Park. with the most. Yeah, exactly. They've been trying to get canceled for years, and they just like they're doing whatever they can. You, just, you know, because it's like again, it's under the guise of comedy, mm-hmm. and it and. I think that there's the satirical, yeah. Yeah, there's room for it to work there. And I just, people that try and stop it or to try and cancel people like that, it's like you're just the worst kind of person yeah. and no one likes you, anyways. Yeah. So I agree. I think, I think comedy is going to be what's going to like save the entertainment industry once it gets too far because it's going to be the last ending one. And if they come for comedy, I think everybody's going to be like, all right, it's. It's gotten too much, you know. South Park even made a joke about that in their like uh, post-COVID thing, and with uh, Jimmy doing Jimmy Live is tonight's show. Yeah, and like all his jokes were just like, "Wow, I love the Mexicans. They work so hard." Yeah, like it's just <laughs> just like not funny. Yeah, at all. yeah. It's just like it's, he's giving compliments, and you know, it's like, um, you know, I think, you know, whenever you want, but I don't know. It's uh. I love stand-up comedians, so that's that's definitely one I want to try now. Yeah, totally. Again, it's just about that comfort zone and mm-hmm. just throw myself to the wolves, you know. Yeah, and and you know, you don't know what you might discover. Exactly, like, you might love that path mm-hmm. for yourself. You know, if I can just get one laugh, I think that'll be enough for my inflated ego to go like, yeah, like I, I can do this. Yeah, like we're gonna go to L.A. and freaking become a comedian. Now I'm the female Matt Rife. No, just, yeah. <laughs> um, no. It's the story of most comics. I feel like a lot of them just wanted to try something out, mm-hmm. and they got that one laugh, and they're like, oh, that That's was what, cool. That was cool. Yeah, yeah. So. But. Yeah, um, I'm terrified to do comedy because I don't think that in that context, 
I'm just too like monotone and just like people don't always know that I'm joking. Yeah, but you can play into that. That's yeah, like you totally that, that's can. like a facet because that was one of the things I was kind of deciding for my like uh, stand up character or whatever you want to call it. Like just what what is my like overall attitude going to be? Do I want to be like kind of more monotone and kind of like uh, not cynical, but just kind of yeah, like that you know. Uh, you can be that like more monotone, cynical, like the uh, like Audrey, uh, the girl that Plaza. plays a yeah Audrey right. Plaza. You know that type of just like dry humor, or you could be a little bit more animated, or you know, or like Bert, you know, Kreischer. He's freaking yeah, absolutely just, insane. Yeah, you know, or like or Tom Segura. You know, he's I think a really good just like he's very calm and he just kind of talks like this and tells his jokes and he gives you that like hard punch and the way he delivers it it's like so calm but it's so ridiculous you know yeah for sure so um i don't know write some jokes and just like break out of your comfort zone <laughs> yeah i know i just i'm like i'm like in my comfort zone yeah. you know what i mean and there's like other things that i that i think i need like i just for me like music is still such um a, a battle for me yeah. to try and conquer. I'm like, okay, well... I think you've conquered it. I went to your show. Uh, I think you conquered it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm... Oh, my gosh. Because me and my friend Erica Reese, shout out to Erica Reese. She's also an amazing singer-songwriter and musician. She does, like, that Dreamwave beach. If you want to feel... If you want to, like, go smile and have fun on the beach, listen to her. If you want to go cry on the beach, go listen to her. If you want to set fire to the beach, go listen... If you just want to be on the beach, go listen to her. Yeah. You know? Um, but we came to see you at, um, ragtime. Yeah, ragtime. It was an acoustic show. And dude, like it was freaking amazing. Like, oh, thank you. I, she, uh, the people around us were like, are these his songs? I'm like, I think so. Yeah. Cause like it, your songs are so nostalgic and they sound so familiar. Like, but it's like, I feel like I know it, but I've never heard it before. Yeah. You know? And it's. It's just uh, it's they're amazing and I'm I'm ready for you to get I'm ready for you to get it out because I I could hear I could hear the music behind it you know what I mean like yeah. it's so undeniable some songs are just so undeniable even if you hear it acoustic you can hear the backing track yeah you know yeah that's that's the what thing I've been procrastinating on is I've got like a like a doc, <laughs> like a behind the scenes documentary thing yeah. that I'm doing along with this acoustic album that I'm putting out and I've just been slacking on the editing side but. It's coming out in the next few months. I'm working on it. That's but, cool. But like, I'm excited to see it. Thank you. Um, but like, besides the, like that, that's a side that I feel more comfortable with. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I, I tr like writing. I always need improvement on, and I'm always working on that. And then like the acoustic stuff is whatever. But more for me, like the next thing that I need to get get over, um, that I wasn't so weird about earlier on but now is like just getting back into jamming yeah and like you know hitting the jams and like playing music that i don't necessarily Isn't that know weird how like it changes though like there's stuff that like you just it was just something that came so naturally in the beginning and then as you've progressed and you've learned a little bit more now it's just like not as natural like i've caught myself like I've never been scared of my voice. I've never been scared of notes. I've never done any of that. But like after I did this cruise tour and just, you know, it was like my first like rigorous tour and it wasn't like a normal tour. It was like I was playing for one and a half to three hours, six days on, one day off on a dry, no humidity ship with salt air, 
you know, and that takes a lot on uh, a toll physically for a vocalist. Um, about every night, like, you know, there's, you know, a vocalist being replaced for, you know, um, having to be on vocal rest because they've lost their voice, laryngitis. Um, so it was like, you know, the first few days I got there, like I blew out my voice, just like giving it my all. Cause I'm so used to being able to like give it my all sleep, be fine in like normal air. But because it was so dry, it dried me out and I like could not even talk. And it was so scary. Um, I basically got spooked and now it's been like, I'm not saying I'm not giving a hundred percent, but I definitely like, there is a part of me that has like a new fear of like losing my voice again like that, you know? Yeah. And even now I'm like, I'm a little sick right now. I'm a little, um, <clears throat> I'm always kind of raspy, but, uh, I've been kind of sinusy the past few days. So even that, like it, you know, it kind of scares me. Well, like the, just the idea of like, you, you start to find like your comfort mm -hmm. zone, you know, yeah. like the more, and that's what, that's why it's important. Like you're still very young and for you to thank like, you. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Cause everyone thinks I'm like approaching my thirties and I'm like, oh, oh, barely there. You're not even, we won't say on the air. Thank you. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but like, anyway, <laughs> I'm 21. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me too. Actually. Yeah. Wow. Uh, me too. <laughs> um, so I think that, when you're, uh, it's good to keep like pushing yourself when you're younger because mm -hmm. hopefully, and if you keep pushing yourself, you'll like it becomes to the point where everything that's like not comfortable for you can become comfortable yeah. very quickly. Um, just like for me, I spent so much time like playing in one band that was just like constantly touring and putting out music to the point where I just now that that band's not together anymore, I have to like start putting myself back in yeah. these situations where um like you know i went to a jam last night at rain dog shout out to all oh, those guys fun. like mylan and andrew uh, shout out to christina wagner too for oh, again awesome. being a strong woman yeah she's and, amazing like killing it she's a new mom now uh jay and bethany did like a documentary style thing with her like talking about um her like just her journey and like her music career and like she's just oh my god she's just hands down one of the most amazing females I know in the industry, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I look up to her so much as a musician and as, as a young woman, you know, she's just absolutely killing it in a male dominated industry, owning a bar in the sound industry. And you know, she's just, and she's a freaking mom on top of that. Like she's just, she's, she's a, she's a, really amazing person yeah I think. and i love that they're letting those guys go and do their thing oh i know on tuesdays at yeah. rain dogs it's, it's such a proponent for live and local local music and live music you yeah know? she has both like you can go party with the dj at the front or you can go listen to a house band in the back that's like super underground like it just has that it it's the stuff that you guys got to grow up with and like she got to grow up with, but not the stuff that my generation got to grow up with. So right. she's, she's creating a space for young people to come and get to experience that like underground, you know, I paid $10 to see this band before they took off kind of thing, right? you know, right. and getting to provide that, like, I think like that integral part of, of live music and of, music as a whole yeah totally you know? it's cool it's, it's well attended i mean that that mm -hmm. jazz jam in particular is like there's a lot of people out there last night and the people they have on there's like angel garcia oh, yeah mylon all good mm. um bryant mm -hmm. is on there uh, patterson uh and then just justin. justin from time wise yeah yeah mm -hmm. and then they had a percussion 
player, Carlos something. I think he plays at LPT sometimes. Mm. Um, anyways, it was like really good. And then they asked if I was gonna get up and play, and I was like, uh, no. <laughs> um, but I need what I need to what I need to not do is that yeah. I need to like bring my stuff get next and time and be like, all right, well maybe I won't play like this Latin jazz stuff. Get out of your own way. Yeah, that's what it is, you know. So, anyways, that's why because going those guys, they're not. Don't ever like. Don't ever for anybody who is starting out on any kind of anything, hobby, new, whatever, and you're around people mm-hmm. who are really good at what they do. I've always said, never, ever, 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 ever be scared to play with them. Yeah, because they, if they're if they're good enough and they're that good, like they're playing with them is just going to make you even better. And they're not watching you, judging you. They're not. You know, they're not wanting to see you fail. They don't want to see you. Um, they don't want to see you fail. They don't want to see you mess up. They want to. They're asking you to do this because they believe in you and they want to see you succeed too. Right. You know, and um, I always tell every musician that's starting out, I'm like, find people who are way better than you and watch them, learn from them, play with them as much as you can. Be annoying. Be a sponge. Soak it all up. Soak everything you can up from them because it'll make you that much better. Yeah, totally. Don't be scared to be around. I never want to be the smartest or best person or not best person, but I never want to be the smartest or like best in the room for anything ever, ever, because I know I'm not in the right place. I don't, I don't want to be, I want to, I want to be the worst. I want to be the one. I want to be surrounded by the people who are just the top of the top of the top and exceed and excel, excel so I can learn from them and learn what they do. Yeah, well, and it's also, you know, I don't think that anybody ever is the best or the smartest person in the room, mm-hmm. you know, because then if you find yourself in a situation where, you know, maybe technically or experience-wise you've done more or you're capable of more, there's like an, another avenue there. Yep. Like maybe maybe you can in this moment be like a teacher for mm-hmm. somebody else. I mean, you might not be the best teacher in the room or whatever it might be, like, like there's always an there's always an angle to like humble yourself oh, yeah. in, in any situation. Either blessed or a lesson, you know, you got something to learn from everybody. You guys and your southern saying, I don't know <laughs> what I'm talking about. Yeehaw, bro. <laughs> don't know. It's it honestly making uh, making me uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm just and maybe that's why I'm like such a songwriter because my whole life, my mama just has all these sayings. Like it was a another one of my jokes that like I stole from her or not really stole from her, but uh, like a joke I'm working in. It was like, um, yeah. So, you know, the, my, my car AC went out and, um, it's not, it's not always good. And it was going to be like $850 to (sighs) get it fixed. And, you know, I'm just like talking to my mom. I'm like, I don't know what to do. And she's like, honey, well, sounds like you're going to be doing a 460. I said, What's a four? What what's four sixty? She goes four windows down at sixty miles an hour. Oh my god! And I was just like, what? <laughs> like, hold on! It took me four windows down at sixty miles an hour. I was like, okay, like just I don't know some of the stuff that uh, people in my family say. I'm just like I've never heard that, but that sounds like it should be something. You well, know, it's a great song, great <laughs> idea for a song. Oh yeah. Um, the uh, I, what I like about it though just like the sayings in general is it like people in the south have a tendency to take complex concepts and and just like simplify them to like you're just like huh yeah wow the truth comes out on wash day oh that's one like was that like laundry day 
yeah, wash day. Yeah, the truth the truth always comes out on wash day. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, she's she's full of them. I actually put that in a song. Another one. Uh, that's been on my mind. My dad said he was like, uh, and especially doing all this film stuff, he was like, if perception is reality, then reality is not the truth. And I was like, oh God, that's, like, that got me. Yeah, that's that's just a good one in general. I yeah. Feel like. yeah. And I, oof, I, that's, I've been trying to turn that one into a song too. Um, it's like a rock anthem. Yeah. That one. So um, yeah, they're always full of like these old sayings that i'm just like yeah you're right you know all right guys this episode's brought to you by best buds cbd store if you're like me maybe thc isn't always the right high for you or maybe the legal status of thc has you a bit hesitant to indulge so at best buds cbd store they have an array of cbd and delta 8 thc products these guys truly care about their service so everything is meticulously sourced and prepared to deliver a top-notch product and experience. If you head to their website, you'll find all kinds of educational information regarding Delta THC and CBD. Uh, not to mention if you use promo code BOTBPOD, that's B-O-T-B-POD, you'll save 10% on your order. This is not a one-time deal. If you use promo code BOTBPOD, every time you place an order with Best Buds, it will give you 10% off. That's in perpetuity forever. So head over to Best Buds cbdstore.com and start saving on all of your CBD and Delta A products. Enjoy, guys. So are are you uh, working on another uh, musical project right now? Do you have like... Yeah, so um, I've been writing a lot for this next project. Uh, right now, um, I still have like so many songs to release. Uh, I have five songs out right now. Right. And uh, so I've, God, I've written, I started writing for my next album already. And like, I think I'm like three quarters of the way done with that. I wanted like 11 or 12 songs and I think I have like seven. Okay. So, um, and I have all the ideas for the rest of them. They just got to get written. Um, but right now, I've just been doing a lot of focus on uh, my RV. I just bought a 1988 Class CRV, and um, I've been back home in Mississippi renovating it to get ready to like live and you know tour in it. So um, you know, I am working on it. You know, I've uh, been working with some of my band members that I have and getting some good. Uh, like voice recordings, like on my phone, you know, just like, just like demoed out like parts that I want for each song and kind of like, uh, getting the parts written. So that way when it is time to come in the studio, cause I want to do it differently this time. I want to, um, do more of like a live album type where like, I want all the instruments to be recorded and, uh, played and recorded live at the same time mm -hmm. as if like we're playing a show and, um, you know, like I'll sing scratch vocals like with it over it in like a different room or something like while we're playing, but I want it to feel more alive um, rather than like having, because last time we had Leroy Copeland, my bestie, um, we had him play all the instruments. So it was just like, you know, one instrument, one take kind of thing at a time. So, but this time I want to like get in there, get it done, have it like that, <coughs> that like grungy Nirvana feel, you know. So you want like guitars and everything at the same time as well? Yeah. Can I have another water bottle? Yes. I'm absolutely. sorry. No problem. <laughs> it's been like, just started getting like a little head cold. Like I don't feel crappy yeah. at all. I don't feel sick. I don't feel anything. I'm just like a little sinusy, a little, ch a little throaty, a little chesty. Yeah. I, th I think it's just the, the, uh, the weather change, honestly. It started getting me last night. Yeah. Like I, I have, uh, it's called, uh, 
excuse me, it's called bronchial asthma. Okay. Um, and like whenever the weather changes or like head colds can just like trigger. And like I literally will have an asthma attack like once or twice a year around this time. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so you're having an asthma attack right now on the podcast. Yeah, uh, I can the tell. Podcast. It's like, yeah, sorry. You can hear it's like getting wheezy. It's but okay. I took my, I, I did the inhaler, so I'm good. Okay. It'll calm down, but uh, okay, I'm good. I'm sorry. You're good. No, stop apologizing. You're all good, okay. dude. It's fine. That's that's my like. I'm that meme of SpongeBob where it's like you can quit apologizing. He's like, oh, sorry. Like that's that's me. I I'm an apology whore. I understand how that goes. I apologize for everything too. Or at least I used to. I don't really yeah. apologize for that much anymore. <laughs> I think I think that's also something that like comes with like age and confidence is like not. I don't know. It's one of those questions that I have is like, when, when, when are you your own person? Like, when are you your own destiny? Like your destiny becomes its own reality. Like when, when you think of like the multiverse theory and like, I was watching Rick and Morty and like, you know, they had the goggles that they could see different multiverses and you know, the parents were divorced and some of them in like summer, the daughter like wasn't there and they're like, oh, well, you know, if your dad and I never got together, then you never would have been born. So it's like, well, at some point when she becomes older, I don't know, like at what point do you become your own entity, like your own person? I don't think that you, know? you ever do. You know, I don't yeah. think that you ever do. I think that you can become like set in your ways, yeah. you know, and some people are quicker to do that than others. Some people are more stubborn than others and don't and are less susceptible to be, you know, uh, you know, malleable, you know, whatever. Yeah. But I mean, I can say that when I hit 25, I felt when the frontal cortex developed was it, fully developed. Oh, is that, that's, uh -huh. that is true. Isn't it? Yeah. There was, there was something that happened when I hit 25 where I was like, I feel much more confident in what I believe and the path that I'm taking. Mm. Um, not That's, yeah, I, I've been feeling that this year. Like I'm in, in my 20s as uh, <laughs> I've been aging. I This like past year, I've definitely felt that too. Like where you just, things just kind of start clicking. Yeah, exactly. Things just kind of start making sense. Questions that you had and you're just like, oh, like that's what that is. Like you just kind of, things to start making more sense. Yeah. You know? And there's, you know, and I've certainly changed a lot about myself mm -hmm. since I was 25, hopefully anyways, <laughs> but like, not that hairline though. I, you know what? <laughs> I can show you pictures when I was 25. It's definitely receded a bit. What? <laughs> yeah. You didn't then. Okay. Cause like, first of all, you have the best set of head of hair I've seen on a man <laughs> in a very long time. Thank you. Not like being gross or weird, but like just, objectively you have amazing hair so i can't imagine your forehead any smaller it's like the perfect like that's like the perfect size for it you got a widow's peak and everything it's like, such an insecurity for me to no. pictures when i was like in my early 20s mid 20s and i'm like it was just and what is your hairline like two inches above <laughs> your fucking eyebrow nah. like it's just there's <laughs> like a i don't know there's also just like a youthful thing that you have at that age that I don't necessarily that I don't have anymore so you just uh, whatever and I also know myself from back then yeah, but like, you know so you see those things it's I guess it's like the way society perceives aging and men like mm -hmm. when men get older like that's when men be I've, I've <laughs> not exposing myself or anything but I truly think that like men become their most attractive when they're like in their 30s mm -hmm. like they you know 
I think most people become their most attractive when they're in their thirties because it's like you're done kind of with everything. Like your your brain's done growing, everything's done growing, and you're kinda like you're more confident in yourself, you're more, you know, you know yourself more, you've experienced a little bit more. So there's that like that confidence that just comes with age that, you know, is hard to uh, fake. And I think that's why people think that I'm so much older than I am because they always say, what's the way you carry yourself? I'm like, you sure it's not these wrinkles under here? <laughs> but- <There's> no, <laughs> you're ridiculous. <laughs> that's crazy. But like, but like, then you meet people that are like in their thirties that are like the, like I, 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 I know people personally that are just like, they can't, they have like no confidence and don't yeah. keep it together. I'm always like, what happens there? Because and it's not a judgment thing. It's I'm like genuinely curious and about, concerned. yeah, like like what's like what happens in someone's upbringing or their experiences that, that that's made you get to a point where you're that there's no dispute once you're in your 30s. This is this is not this is not like a question as to whether or not you're an adult. Yeah, like this is it. Like you're here, right? And um, so what is it about people that can't make a decision or that are just too insecure? Like, like, you know, people, especially with like, you know, like, like, uh, dating and stuff like that, where like, you see people my like, dude, this is, this is a no brainer to me. Like, like, why wouldn't you do this or why yeah. wouldn't, and everyone's got their thing. It's just, it's interesting to me. Like what happens to people that makes me them too. so insecure and it carries that through adulthood. I've been, um, I've been looking a little bit into like more psychology recently too. <coughs> Sigmund Freud mm-hmm. <clears throat> was a very interesting man. Yeah. Was a very interesting man, but his concept of like the five sexual stages and not sexual in the sense of, you know, like Intercourse, yeah, sexual in the sense of like human sex, human, human physiology, and like growing up, like through because, like, you know, the sex of your, you know, gender, whatever, not gender, but like the, you know, whatever. So, psychology, psychology, like the, anyway. So, it's like, you know, the oral stage, it's like the oral stage, the anal stage, the, uh, God, there's like, there's five stages. I can't remember all of them. And it's like, you know, he believed that. You know, if you missed a step within your because it like it went from like being an infant to a toddler learning to use the bathroom to like discovering your genitalia and discovering like your body as like a human, like waking up and discovering like being conscious, basically um, into like preteen pubescent. And then the last stage is like being a full grown adult. Mm -hmm. So um like being aware and then I guess like starting to, I don't know. Anyway, I'm not a psychologist. I've just watched some YouTube videos um, (laughs) because I was interested and read some articles, but um, I just found them like very interesting. And and his idea was that if you miss a step within these stages, then you'll be stuck within that stage until you can conquer that step. Right. So like, that's when like he would take in like, uh, like role playing and all that within like immersing yourself into like whatever that traumatic event was right. and then changing the narrative this time. Right. Yeah. You it's know? like all like uh, psycho- <clears throat> psychotherapy and all yeah, that. Like, yeah. yeah. So, um, 
I just found that like very interesting and it, like it makes a lot of sense to me like we are very and especially getting into acting too like it just because it, it that, that's what it feels like like you know it feels like you know you're taking from real life events and you're kind of just like pulling from those emotions and like changing the narrative you know right. so it's like it I don't know there's so much psychology and art yeah, totally. You know, every facet of art, even down to like physical, like music, like don't even get me started on my sound levitation theory. Like <laughs> music is so physically and like psychologically necessary for humans. Yeah. And it's like the fact that we didn't discover it, like, or like we didn't invent it. We just discovered it. Like it was already here. It was already everywhere. Right. You know, the universe vibrates at like a certain rate. So it's like being able to manipulate those tones and frequencies and being able to use them. You yeah. Know? Organize the chaos mm -hmm. and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. The organization of the chaos. Exactly. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. Sorry. That was a tangent. No, it's okay. <laughs> this is a uh, podcast for four though. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. I think that like going back to the, to the insecurity stuff, I, I think that is a good point. You know, people that have, I think that oftentimes children are not allowed to fully explore these different yeah. developmental stages because whatever it might be like religion or yeah. whatever is, is around, well, it's stifling I, yeah. some things and then people can get, can be made but to sometimes, feel. sometimes like with my generation, I know for a fact that like Gen Z is going to be like, I mean, I was in eighth grade when that video of that dude getting his head, you know, off was on iFunny, a, a, an app for memes. It was on YouTube. They posted it. Like, I was in math class when that video went around and we were watching it, like yeah. some kids. Like, you know, we were exposed to certain things, like not trying to like trauma compare or anything. Um, but Gen Z was just like exposed to so many things at such an early age, like, well, you know, yeah, I, Pete, like, like, uh, pornography, you know, like all it's so prevalent and like predators are so prevalent online. And like, I'm, if I see any, like if I see kids on Instagram, Facebook, anything, YouTube, TikTok, like I immediately report it. I get them taken down. I don't think children should be on the internet. I think you should be 18 years old when you get to use social media. I think it's dangerous. And I think it's perpetuating disgusting values. And I think that people rely on it too often and too much. It's a great tool for, you know, networking decompressing if you want to consume some content but people are you know like i don't want to see 13 year olds on tiktok where grown disgusting adults are who are attracted to minor people are doing and, and consuming that content that's exactly who it is like moms posting videos of their babies in bath time oh my god that went viral why do you think it went viral yeah because there are disgusting people online yeah you know it's not all moms watching your kid and you know that yeah like, i think children should have the same autonomy of they don't understand the internet they don't understand that when they post this video it's going to happen like i saw a video of an 11 year old girl who was coerced by a 40-year-old man to send pictures of herself to him, private pictures of herself to him. When the father called the law, they said, we're going to have to arrest your daughter. She's distributing CP. And he's like, are you kidding me right now? She's a child. She was groomed by a man to do this. 
you know, and like it was and like the officers were like, sorry, this is state law. Like, you know, she was distributing it. She's guilty. In what world? She was charged with it. I think they ended up. I don't know if they ended up charging them or not. I just watched like the ring footage of like the cops coming in and being like, we got to take her in, da, da, da. Um, But it's just like things like that. Like we, we have to protect the children, especially now that like things are so prevalent. Yeah. And things are so accessible. And I, if I have a child, they, I will not let them use technology until they understand like, this is what's on there and this is what you can find. And if you want to explore, that's fine. Like, you know, whatever. But like, I need you to understand that like, these are the repercussions. Cause like, I know <clears throat> so many people who were affected, like as young girls, young boys, whatever. And like, and, and kids sending pictures of themselves to each other too. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's the thing. Nobody wants to talk about it. It's gross, mm-hmm. but that's the thing that's happening. And like, I remember girls getting their like their nude pictures getting spread around school. Like they're distributing child porn, like ch- CP. Yeah. Like it's it's so gross. Like how there's not more precautions taken, and nobody wants to talk about it. Well, I think that there's <clears throat> I think that there's definitely um, going to be like like people and the infrastructure that we have in place it takes time for us to catch up to the technology certainly i think there are efforts being made and i furthermore think that children are not to say that they should have like you know carte blanche on the internet or anything but i do think there's a value in having children understand the technology because they tend to be much better at navigating it than people from previous generations so for example i went to a charter school that was like a school of technology and like we had our own netbooks and we learned how to use Excel. We learned how to use all everything. And we also learned like how to navigate the internet. We had the seminars about like, you know, don't talk to random people online because they'll try to kidnap you. But they didn't have the seminars about don't share pictures of yourself and don't, you know, do this. And if somebody's an adult and they're talking to you online, like that's not okay. Like there's a whole different like there's an entire different realm of the p word of like uh like people who are attracted to children mm-hmm. and people who are consuming that content there is a whole different realm right uh because of the internet and if it's not brought to light if it's not talked about then it's going to be too late like there's so many like I watched another documentary of this guy that like infiltrated this um, people who are attracted to minor children website on the dark. It wasn't even on the dark web. And the disgusting things that he found, he went in there and gave got IP addresses, actual addresses, names, date of birth. Like he got all this information for thousands and thousands of people online who are spreading the CP. And he was charged for going on there and they didn't take any of the evidence that they didn't do anything with it. Mm. They just charged him and arrested him for being on that site. That's wild. And he was only there to capture all those guys. I mean, he gave them loads of evidence and they did nothing. That's wrong. That's wrong to me. He did like a whole thing about it and it's, um, 
Ooh, sorry, not to get on like such a dark topic, but it's like it's one of those topics that nobody wants to talk about because it's so dark and it's so uncomfortable and it's hard to talk about, but it's like it's happening. Yeah. And it, and it's happening so frequently and everywhere and it's it's disgusting and I wish it would stop. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely like an aspect that's going to be there that needs to be handled. I think it, I think that we will catch up on that side of it. I think that like, you know, but I've talked I hope to so. I've talked to like my my 16 year old nephew who's on on the platforms mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And what I what I've found about that generation is that they are much more adept to handling whatever issues like because they can tell they're better able to tell you know what the scams look like mm-hmm. you know what the fake accounts look like they can they can see they the can signs see what a better account is, yeah yeah whereas like you know you think about like <laughs> your your grandparent who gets scammed yeah. by the by the nigerian prince on yeah, the emails exactly. like we look at that and we're like that's dumb why would you do that yeah but like they don't know that right it's the same way that, that i look at things now on i'm probably better than than most people that aren't on TikTok and Instagram because I use the platforms a lot. But like an average person, let's say like in their 40s or something that doesn't know these platforms that see stuff is like, this is happening. Well, like my 16 year old nephew might be like, yeah, but that's not even real, dude. No, yeah. one's, You know what I mean? So I think there, yeah. there's a value in having children understand the platform so they understand what to look out for, you yes. know, letting them know, know what the dangers are. So I don't know. I think that, you know, and every generation has their version of that thing. Yeah, for you, sure. You know, I remember like, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I totally lost my train of thought. I had it and it was there. It's all good. I don't think it was a good thought anyway. <laughs> it wasn't worth talking about. So. But either way, every generation has their version of, of, of that thing, you know, so it just it's just a matter of like understanding how to navigate it. And the less... The less access we give children, the less adept they become at navigating those things. You well, know, I'm not saying like not give them access to, you know, like the skills necessary online and like not teach them how to navigate, but just like keep them off of social media. They do not need to be on social media. I think like, uh, or, or maybe if like you know social media was just better about like knowing who is on their platforms, you know. But I guess that like breaches privacy but privacy is not even going to i have a theory that privacy is not going to be a thing within the next like 20 years everybody's everything's going to be out and it's going to get to it's going to get to a point again where like we just respect each other's privacy you know because Mm -hmm. everything's going to be out there so you might as well just like respect you know just shield your eyes don't look you know, yeah, kind is, of thing. isn't Elon Musk working on that like that Neuralink? Or oh, like something? the IntelliLink. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm kind of here for it because as a as a vocalist, language and speech is so convoluted. Like the process in which to, I have a thought, and now I have to form it into words to then describe it to you, so then that you can hear it and try to imagine it but so much gets lost in translation right you know whereas i could just like and just show you what i'm thinking Mm -hmm. um and same thing with like different languages like you know there are phrases and words in like japanese that we don't have you know there are sounds in german that in letters that we don't have you know yeah well that's like there was a an unpopular opinion that i had on the podcast like a long time like one of the earlier ones <clears throat> and it was like being that like language is the root of all evil yeah because there's so much like you're saying it's lost in translation and i think that um 
people can also use it to manipulate. And, you know, you watch it with politicians all the time Mm -hmm. where they word things a certain kind of way. And if you're not paying attention, it can sound real good until you start to really see what they're leaving out and what they're, what they're leaving in. And you're like, Oh, this this is very broad language. And it, and it allows a lot of weird shit to go down. Now that's a great question. I love America. Yeah. And you know, we should bring down taxes. Like yeah. it's just all that we should bring down taxes. Yeah, like yeah. you know, that cuz you know I think it's just it's just so interesting that thought of being able just like to clearly convey ideas, you know. Um just like without any issue. But isn't there like also um, like a benefit to not f- like, like to, to harboring some information? Yeah. Like, you know, when you're negotiating things or sometimes there's, there's just, uh, I can't but think again, of that's like manipulation tactic, right? Right. But I don't always think it's a bad thing though. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think that it's good to kind of keep well, I guess this is where you can like get into ethics because it's like, it might not necessarily be a bad thing for you. Right. You know, but you're keeping, but like, I don't know if it's like a business deal, like you're, you're keeping this one thing from this guy to let him know, like, you know, oh, I wanted to buy my building and I'm not going to tell him that, you know, the furnace has probably got like two years left on it for it has to be replaced. And that's going to be a quarter of a million dollars while I'm going to charge him, you know? Yeah. So, all, you know, that so that's, kinda. that's one, that's one angle, but then there could be like another angle where maybe it's like, it's uh you know, an interpersonal relationship mm-hmm. or whatever. And you're talking to somebody about a genuine concern that you have, but maybe you have like another angle that you're working also. It doesn't delegitimize the legi- yeah. the, con- the concern that you have, but if they're aware of the full scope, then it might make them think that you're only working this other angle, even though both things can be true at the same time, yeah. right? Oh my God, okay. Literally that, that line, but two things are both things, two things can be true at the same time. Mm-hmm. That has been like my mantra, mantra for... Like the last, what, six months? Like just like two, well, you know, two things can be true at the same time. Like I, that's so crazy. Sorry. I love when like the universe like does Those stuff like that. Yeah. 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 I love, I love when like things connect like that. But it's true though. I mean, they just because one thing is true doesn't mean the other one has to be, has doesn't to be negate false. the other thing, you know? Yeah. Let's hit some unpopular opinions. Okay. Uh, Chris, what you got for us this week? Um, music production should be taught in schools alongside like classical band classes. Mm. Um, I actually went to a school that did that. I had one in high school. They had one class like my senior year that mm. did that, but I think it should be like, I know that's like a magnet school thing, but it should be the norm. Cause like so many kids, you're trying to get them into music. You're doing mm. this like really old school way of playing music yeah. in the grand scheme of things. But I feel like if you were teaching like production classes, like, how to make a beat or how, you know, how to use a, you know, recording stuff. Like they would be what, cause that's what's relevant now, you know, like they, yeah. Yeah. and, and you might hook kids into like yeah. this being an artist or at least being around art a little more than just like here, play this, you know, 1800s piece of music, you know? Well, no, I disagree a little. Well, no, I agree that, uh, they should still have, um, that music production, like modern music mm-hmm. should be, uh, thing in um, schooling um, 
but I disagree that we should get rid of the classical. No, get, no getting rid of side okay, by okay. side. Cool, side by side. Yes, Both I agree. Like exist, I had, right? Yeah, like, like an eight A B day kind of thing. You know yeah, what I mean? Like yeah, one exactly. day you because like they teach different skills. Like playing in an ensemble teaches you like how to blend yes, with people. Exactly. Like, yep. and there's like a history element. Like it's super important. Yeah. But I don't. I know that so many people. Even when I was in school, like people didn't relate to that. Like they yeah. did the. They were in band, but it wasn't their thing. They were just kind of there. But the things that you learn from being in those ensembles and being because I would not be the musician I am today if it wasn't for my classical training. Yeah, learning my because now okay, so I spent all that time learning. You know, just to sing in Baroque Italian, uh, German. Chinese, Portuguese, Indonesian, uh, Ita- uh, Spanish, like literally name it, I've probably sang in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that in Latin, all that time learning all these, ooh, learning all these different languages, I was, it, it just, it's so prevalent now and I love that I did it because now I can listen to like my favorite anime song and learn it phonetically perfectly yeah you know well it's interesting too is if you can translate the 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 words Mm -hmm. then you can really get an insight to how the culture understands the world around yeah and like how they do poetry too and like just the music is so different but also like the school i went to i graduated from harrison school for the arts in jacksonville florida and we actually had basically i made like i didn't make it but like i took like a free studies class and we had a, t- a composition teacher mm. and so he taught us how to use like finale and all that to do uh to make compositions mm. and like uh then at the very end of the year he had like he would have one class about like music production so like we'd use garage band and he'd show us how to do that and i was like well you know can i just and i did piano for since I was five years old, like, I don't want to take piano. Can I just like have a free study? And then I just take all my classical pieces that I wrote and put it into garage band and create like music production, like different sounds. He was like, yeah, sure. So, uh, basically like I would just each week I'd just come on and work on a project and I'd get to like, you know, take a piece that I wrote in finale and then I would, uh, like remix it in, um, garage band. Like I would add bass and, uh, dubstep it basically put stops and do all that kind of stuff and um as long as i turned something in he gave me an a but it was um it was really cool and i think that there should definitely be more of that as like i think it would be cool to incorporate it like the first semester do like i said composition learning to create the music Mm -hmm. learning to write the music the theory behind the music and then after you've created it then take it and put the uh you can either it'd be cool if you can incorporate the like orchestra kids or chorus chorus kids musical theater whoever to have the sheet music have them sing it perform it and you mm-hmm. record it yeah. and then remix it you know you could have uh, so many different um, classes with that I think yeah. that'd be sick it's and like that's <coughs> the thing is like you're you're always working on performance and stuff mm-hmm. like there's not like a real creativity yeah. in that other like expression and like how you play the music sure mm-hmm. that's one thing but in terms of like blank creation you know you get that in like an art class maybe but yeah. like musically it'd be cool to foster that early yeah on. it's like they'll have like one project that you'll be able to like create something um like i've had a couple like uh vocal tech classes or um ap music theory or something like that where like we would have a project where we would have to create a song um but the composition class was probably where like we would do most of the creations yeah everybody said <laughs> 
My stuff sounded like Twilight. I was <laughs> oh, like, really? thank you, yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. And dude. they hated that every single time. They're like, because I always written, I was writing minor key and gave it a Picardy third. That was like mm. my, <laughs> my touch. That was my signature, yeah. right? And every time I'd make this beautiful, like long minor piece, and then at the end I'd just like and major one. Yeah. And every time, like they would get so pissed off. They're like, "Why can't you just leave it minor? Why?" And I'm like, "Cause it's got to have a hopeful ending, you yeah. know. It's got to. So sad. It's got to have a hopeful ending. And yeah. So I used to. Yeah. I think I think that's a great idea. Yeah, I, I think, think they should. Like, they should call me Duval it. County. I'm coming. Call me Duval yeah, County. After, I'm coming. After all the shit you've talked about, their transit. Shit. Two things can be true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your trains can suck and your schools can get better. That's yeah. all. The <laughs> that's going to be the title of this podcast. Both <laughs> things can be true. Two things can be true. Yeah. Two things can be true. Um, cool. Uh, so, what you got, Madison, from Popular Opinions? Can we come back to me? Sure. Okay, sorry. No problem. Um, okay, so we... Okay, there's two here that I kind of like, but I'm going to just... I'm going to go with my instinct on here. I think we need to, be, we need to give Flat Earthers more of a platform. <laughs> <laughs> because part of... Uh, <laughs> My my favorite part of the day is going on TikTok and just watching these yeah. people just debunk these fucking morons, dude. Yeah. I mean You're like, on flat earth, flat earth talk. Yeah. <laughs> dude, these people are so stupid. I mean, so stupid. Yeah. The shit that they say is I mean, just I'm a flat stupid. earther. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I, case in point. <laughs> case in point. No. <laughs> yeah, no. I just I I can't, I just, I can't with these people, dude. But I also want to hear more of it because it's just, it's so it's stupid. so funny. It's like a, it's a joke at this point. You know what I mean? People are making. Well, not to some people. <laughs> yeah. People are making real careers out of this. This one guy named Flat Earth Dave. How do you know they're not trolling? Flat Earth Dave. Um, some of them definitely are. And some of them are not. And then you have some people and then you, there's like even fame. Like you guys know the rapper Bob. Mm, yeah. Love him. He fuck yeah, me too. But he is also a flat earther. No, he he's literally, not. He literally invested like two hundred thousand dollars. This is like five years ago, maybe maybe longer. Like two hundred thousand dollars into to a, to a satellite, which they don't even believe in, right? To make a satellite to go up into space to prove, which they also don't believe in, right? To prove that the Earth is flat. And I've not seen anything come of that. Here's the other part of it, though, is that a lot of it's not even the idea of the flat earth so much as it is just we've been lied to about everything. Mm -hmm. So if we've been lied to about everything, then why would we believe the earth is round? And they always point to all this ancient stuff. Well, the Egyptians knew the earth was flat. And I was like, dude, they didn't have technology to like understand things. They wet their ass with sand, dude. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> it's just, I just, I can't stand these people, but it is really funny to watch actual scientists just level their entire yeah. philosophy. Yeah, I saw an article that... No pun intended. Uh, <laughs> real, real good there. Buddy. No, intend that pun. Yeah, that was yeah, freaking yeah, hilarious. It, you know what? It was intended. It Fuck was you intended, guys. yeah. <laughs> Dad jokes are back in. Get off my yeah. ass. No, they are. I saw an article where it was like, Flat Earther thought that the end of the... Like, the, the flatness, the end of it was like off the coast of Sicily. So they're like sailed 
off the coast and then were disappointed when they like kept going you know found something else after that i'm like, no, just I'm, like i'm pretty well, positive that's like what christopher columbus's thing was like whole things i could sail around the world i'm either gonna sail around the world or fall off the edge of it and he yeah. thought he sailed all the way around when he got to was it is, yeah. is it cuba the first time i think he was yeah in the cuba. caribbean yeah he, like, he was in the caribbean the first time um and that's why the natives were the indigenous people were called indians because he thought he was in india yeah like he thought he had sailed all the way around and gone to india whoops yeah yeah whoops <laughs> and that's why oh yeah and it's just it's and like, but, he, but here's the thing they also believe in the ice wall which mm. is what keeps all the everything water in. in yeah it's mm. like it's antarctica is really just a big wall of ice that's that surrounds the whole flat earth right and, and then you hear some people where it's more of like a, like an astral like an astral plane or something where it's not even physical. Yeah. It's just like an energy field, and you're like, okay, dude. Then like nothing is real. Then we're all just and it's like then you can make that point. But we live in the physical world, so I physically do think that it we're is in a simulation, like one hundred percent. You think so? I. I don't know anything about that, to be honest with we you. We can talk about it after the podcast, because <laughs> I got some stories I can tell you. Yeah. About, yeah, like, just my experience with uh, certain, just seeing some stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's not it's not a simulation of, like, what we understand simulation to be, you know? But, like, the chance that we're just, like, on a some kid's shelf in a jar... Or like on a speck of dust. Like Horton Hears a Who messed me up as a child. I was mm. like, what a word is a speck on a flower? <laughs> and, you know, that's a whole universe. But, um, yeah. I mean, definitely could be a simulation. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I haven't, I've heard of that theory and I haven't I've done heard anything. it's like more possible that we are a simulation than we are not. Yeah. yeah. I heard that that's like that. There's a statistical probability that we are more likely to be a simulation than we actually aren't. Yeah. So... Well, if that's the case, then it doesn't really matter, I guess, because yeah. we're all still here no, existing. No, but that's, yeah. Um, so my, I guess my unpopular opinion is more of an unpopular theory. Mm. Um, you brought up the Egyptians. Um, I think that music and sound levitation was way more utilized in the past than it was. If you, like, I'm sure you can find videos of, like, dudes, but they'll have, like, 10 didgeridoos and they're like moving stuff and lifting stuff with it yeah so i think that you know with the help of a didgeridoo-esque type instrument you know that we were able to manipulate vibrations and sounds and move stuff yeah and like you know uh i've also seen some stuff where like uh seismologists i think is what they're called when they um they measure the vibrations of the earth and earthquakes and stuff like Mm -hmm. that they went to like these ancient ruins, which are like you go there and it's just like basically like a foundation of a um, town. And he like brought his machine and like literally like stepping off the foundation to stepping onto the foundation of the sound. The vibrations are completely different. And he's like, you can literally you can physically feel the difference in vibrations. And when you zoom out on the foundation of like the town or city, wherever it is, it creates these symmetrical spiral patterns and like these symmetrical patterns that are typically what you see. Like if you pour powder or water or something on a speaker and you hear certain tones and vibrations, it's the same type of symmetrical patterns. Mm. So it's like, is it magic? Is it not? What is it? And, you know, so I guess that's my unpopular opinion yeah the, like that music sound, is, sound used. is used sounds and vibrations are used way more in our history yeah it than could be we, than we 
think in that, like we talk about. It definitely could be. I think that, um, you know, the, the idea of ancient civilizations mm-hmm. being more technolo- technologically advanced, advanced than what we think. Yeah. Um, and just using different technologies, mm-hmm. that's very possible. Because obviously, like, you know, if we have a nuclear war and we die out, somebody's going to find a CD and be like, what the, what is this? Right. Or they're not going to have the technology to have it, you or, know? Or, the, or they don't, or just nature eradicates you everything. Know, everything. And, just, and there's like only... It's all buried. You yeah, can't find it. And there's just like very limited uh, access. So you would think that we were also an unevolved civilization um, because whatever technology we had was just totally eroded and, and gone after X amount of time. Yep. Uh, then you know, there's also... There's a this thing down in Miami called Coral Castle. And one one guy supposedly built it and it was built pretty quickly. Um, but these coral, these pieces of coral were like huge and people, there's like reports. I think this is like back in the sixties. I forget exactly. There's like reports of people seeing him working on the castle just like by himself though. Mm-hmm. And this thing just seemingly going up like very quickly. And some people have speculated that he used, or he said that he used the ancient, the technology of the Egyptians to, to make it happen. It's sound levitation, man. I'm telling you. It, it could be. I'm I don't know. But, you. but then you have depictions in the hieroglyphics that are like. You know, where you but see they're, them they're working. blowing on those huge horns. You see it all the time of like them blowing on those like those big horns. Right, but it could just be like you know war calls or something. You know, or uh, I think I think that it was. I think it was like they. I think they used different instruments for different things, and I think that like the bigger the instrument that they were playing is like they were moving stuff. And you, how do you know they weren't using them to like do like big blast shots to the the enemy or something? You yeah. never know, or like shake the ground beneath them. You know, like the. Uh, people it, like the trumpets of Jericho, you know, or is that is that what it is? The trumpets of Jericho uh, is the walls. The walls of Jericho yeah. came tumbling down with like the trumpets, right? Like I believe that they that they could do that. I believe that they could use sound and like crumble things to the ground. Oh, you definitely, know? definitely using sound as defense. We do that mm-hmm. today with with the military. Yeah, know? like they'll sit there and like uh, have those big uh, things. Like if you stand behind it, you hear nothing. But if you're yeah. within like thirty, uh, was like. 30 yards and within its like range like you were paralyzed yeah by the sound we even did it uh, yeah that's like i a, have a that, screenplay that has those elements in it actually. oh really <laughs> I've been writing it for like years nice yeah there's also we'll talk about it one day yeah <laughs> there's also like we did uh like on a much less advanced level where they used um like you guys familiar with noriega the uh, drug lord in fuck was it like panama or uh, i forget which one of the, the central american countries anyways um uh the cia used like just like he wouldn't we, we invaded he wouldn't like get, he wouldn't come out of his home so we like put these big speakers and just blasted heavy metal music oh my god out I'm front so of his dead. house for like i don't know 72 hours or oh something until he eventually can't. came out it was like, okay, I'm done. I'm done. I can't. So it's like sound is definitely Jokes still used. Jokes on them. I love heavy metal. So. <laughs> yeah, but like coming out of a wall of speakers mm. for like three days straight. I lived with the drummer. I could handle it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, so I definitely think the sound has been used for things over the course of history. I, I The more angles that I hear, because I try and like listen to the more alternative ideas, of course, but then also... You, I, I want to keep in mind the mainstream ideas as well because there's always going because every time the alternative side says something about like they just don't want to 
it just this disrupts the the, the status quo. Yeah. So that's why they don't want to talk about it. And then you hear what mainstream scientists are saying. It's like, no, we literally have we no have that proof too, that that, yeah. or just we have no proof that that thing actually exists, and we have proof to say that this is mm -hmm. actually what happened. Yeah, we don't know. We don't have any. We don't have any evidence that that was a thing. Right. But so, we do have this physical evidence right here. So right. So that's why I'm kind of hesitant to fully jump on board mm -hmm. with some of the, the the theories about that. That being said, it's fun to entertain, and yeah. I mean, I just try. I just, I, I can't take like a real stance on anything when it yeah. comes to that, you know. So I'm just like, oh, I have a better unpopular opinion. I'm gonna give you two. Okay? What's that? Yeah. Ringo Starr mm -hmm. is the original punk and one of the world's best drummers. <laughs> I will die unpopular. on that hill. You can, you can take this one, Anton. I will die on that hill. I mean, you know that he didn't even play on th those records. <laughs> yes, right? he did. You liar. That is. It is we can that pull is up the credits. Yeah, that Bernard is... Purdy was on some of those early records. Okay, some um, of the early records, but when did they get popular? Uh, Pretty fucking early. <laughs> they they got popular like really like they got known around the world in nineteen like sixty two, and then they came to America in sixty four, and then that's when they fucking just blew up like crazy. I think Ringo is one of the best drummers. Watch, watch Dave Grohl talk about Ringo Starr. Okay, I, here's what I'll give you about Ringo, and this is like the Beatles are my favorite band of all time. Okay, so. Um, Ringo was creative with his ideas and the way that he approached writing on the drums and like writing parts. That being said, there's a reason why Ringo Starr and the All Star Band have another drummer all the time, right? <laughs> and 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 like probably some of that is so that he can step away and just like perform, right? But also part of it is like he's very limited in what he can actually do on the drums. I don't know, man. Like Ringo, just there was something about him. He just was so loose. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it very sounds loose. so yeah. But, yeah. but no, he never used a metronome. He didn't need. Oh, well, we could tell. Yeah. No, oh my gosh, yeah. no, you guys. Yeah, you're right. He did. He did. He he. Yeah, he talks about this and like he didn't like that because it was he didn't he couldn't play to it. That's mm. why you know what yeah, I mean. He didn't need to. No, He's he, perfect. He should have. <laughs> he was perfect. No, watching him perform though is like. Especially early on, too. He, like I said, is the original punk. Like, he's standing up at his kit, knocking his kit down, like, going fucking crazy for do up, do up, I want to hold your head. Yeah. Like, he's going absolutely insane, you know? And um, he also was like, if you were in London in, like, the early 50s, probably would have, like, most likely would have been stabbed by him in a al dark alleyway. Like, he was a gangster. He was. Ringo allegations. Yeah. No, here. he was. No, he was He was a gangster. He talked about Ringo. it. Like, he was, like, a thug. Like, he, you know, and he even talked about an interview one time where he was like, um, yeah, like, I don't understand, you know, the you know, the, whatever they called them, like the pickpockets or whatever they called them these days, because they're sitting there hurting women and children and old and old people. And he's like, no, like you, you robbed the successful rich man. Like you leave women and kids out of it. He's like, if we found out that you hurt a woman and kid, like we'd all, everybody from every gang would show up and just like absolutely mess you up. You know what I mean? Make sure you never do that again. Like, you know, they were gangs and they were gangsters, but like they had class. You know, Equality though, about. right? Like yeah. <laughs> there's rich business women out there that deserve to be robbed from. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, 2023. Please don't be so close. Oh yeah. Sorry. Uh, I don't need to be so, so sexist <laughs> and close minded. You're right. The, the ethics of thieves. The yeah, ethic, I yeah. I love it. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know, dude. Um, 
I, I do love Ringo Starr. Love him. Um, but I don't think he's anywhere near the greatest drummer of all time. The Beatles wouldn't uh, have been what they were without him. So Exactly. Yeah. He did exactly what he needed to do for the Beatles. You know what I mean? He stayed right there in the pocket. He gave a little bit of oomph and he, he did... I don't know. I think that's what makes him such a great drummer. It's like he stayed in the pocket, but also wasn't scared to get out of it and do something cool too. Yeah. Make it its own part. Yeah, know? he was he was creative for sure. For sure. Sometimes he turned his pocket inside out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Nice. <laughs> Sometimes he dropped the pocket. No. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, Madison, thank you so much for being thank on today. Thank you for today. having me. Absolutely. I hope I can come again. This was so much for fun. For sure. Anytime. Uh, all right, guys. Thanks you for... <laughs> nice. Nice. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time. <laughs> Thank you.